0: All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? How's it going? That's it. That today, I'm just going with what the fuckers. I'm tightening it up today because today is sort of a uh, it's 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 a pretty big day for me, and and I want to be uh I just want to I just want to feel it. I don't want to get off onto a rambling start. I just want to feel it. Uh, by the way, I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for choosing uh, WTF as your podcast to listen to in this moment. Today is uh, Monday, August 10th. Yesterday was uh, Sunday, August 9th. And on August 9th, uh, I had uh, 16 years clean and sober. This is astounding. It's astounding. There's a lot of things astounding about it, but just the the, the number at this point is, is fairly astounding. There's a couple ways to look at that. Like, that's amazing. I've had... I've got I've, I got 16 years sober. The, the other way to look at it is like, holy shit, where the fuck did all that time go? It's weird when time just becomes a smear behind you, and it's only you know you can just look back at it and see kind of a uh, major events kind of popping in and out of the surface. And like, when what 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 happened, man? What happened? So much shit happened in my sobriety, both good and bad. Obviously, uh, the best thing is is that because I did not drink or do drugs, I was afforded the luxury of sort of finding myself and, and owning who I am and, and, and sort of progressively getting more okay with that. Let's not go crazy. Uh, obviously, I'm not perfect. I'm not even sure I'm a good person necessarily, but I do know that I am uh, 16 years clean and sober today, and, it, and, I, and I did not do it alone. And as coded as I'm going to get, if it wasn't for the secret society, uh, I would not have had it. If it wasn't for many people in my life, I don't think it would have been uh, possible, certainly not steadily. A lot of very supportive friends and, uh, and a lot of uh, reaching out to others, asking for help, listening to other people uh, was a, a big contributor to my sobriety and maintaining that and continuing to do that. Thank you for uh, being there for me. Because believe it or not, this podcast and the act of talking like this and talking to other people and getting out of myself like that has helped me uh, immensely on so many levels and most most of them personal and emotional and psychological. And I, I think it certainly you know, made my sobriety amazing and success uh, over the years. Is, uh, is a whole other thing to deal with. I, I think that you know, feeling uh, proud of myself and that I've done something that people enjoy and that I, I have somewhat of a legacy with this thing uh, ha- has filled in a great, a great void where uh, uh, the lack of self-esteem lived. There's still a little bit of a void there. It's still, it's still not filled to the top, but you know sometimes you might not. Might not, might not. You might not fill it all up. But thank you. Not just for listening, but for being there. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a big day, and I don't think that I, I, I'm i fully capable of acknowledging things emotionally for as big as they are. Because now I'm completely paralyzed with fear and terror that I'm going to drop dead any second. That's the new thing for me. I've, I've really refined my anxiety. But uh, again, thank you very much. Today on the show, Lynn Shelton. The uh, amazing uh, independent film director. I, maybe you've seen her movies Hump Day or Your Sister's Sister, Touchy Feely, Laggies. She did. She's directed episodes of television. Uh, new Girl, Fresh Off the Boat, The Mindy Project, Mad Men. She's a, an independent filmmaker, does a bit of TV. I like her movies, and it, and it was just sort of this random thing. I, I had asked her. I would reached out to her before to direct some of the episodes of Marin, but it didn't pan out. But nonetheless... Uh, I've watched your movies and I like talking to directors because there's a, a lot of ways you can go. And I think we have very nice chat. Smart, smart woman, a doer, a getting things done person. I got to get some stuff done. I have a tremendous amount of anxiety around taking action around things. I don't know if you, if I strike you as that kind of person, but many of you have heard the trials and tribulations of the hole in my driveway, the inconsistent drainage situation. I have the buckled concrete all the way down my house. My house was built in 1924. It's falling apart. How many years have I talked about my fucking driveway? I have sandbags in front of the goddamn garage. I need to get a new driveway. Why do I keep putting it off? I don't know, my deck, my my beat-up old fucking Redwood deck was looking horrible. That needs to be sanded and refinished. Why, why, why don't I do that? I've been talking about getting a new car because my car now is like, you know, the trunk is smashed in. There's, a, you know, one of the rims is all fucked up. It's a 2006 Camry. That car is going to run for a long time, the one I have. But Ryan Singer needs a car, and now he doesn't have a car, and I've been talking about getting a new car for three years. So... Like, all these things are hanging, so I just decided, let's just do it all once. Let's make it all happen in the same three days. Apparently, and I didn't know this, and I don't know if other people experience of this, but because of, I guess, what I come from, this sort of boundaryless emotional chaos and erraticness, uh, whatever, whatever I come from, the fact is, and I'm not tooting my own horn or blowing smoke up my own ass or whatever, you know, things have panned out for me wasn't easy. It happened late in life. Not late. I'm not 100, but you know what I'm saying. Things are okay, and that's a new place for me to be. So apparently when I do things that should make me feel good about myself, I find them terrifying and anxiety-inducing, and I just can't move through it sometimes. What I'm trying to say is, I'm having a hard time dealing with the 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 chaos of just doing practical things and things things that need to get done, and uh, and and I'm trying to avoid, you know, five years from now, God willing or whoever willing, that I'm still alive, that I'm not driving a 2006 Camry and still putting sandbags in front of my garage on a deck that is slowly crumbling uh, in my backyard that I can't step on. So, just trying to take care of myself. <sighs> the last time I talked to you I had a health event I tried running in 100 degree heat after not running for a while up a hill and uh, my body just fucking gave out two people after I talked about that tweeted or emailed me dude those are symptoms you're having a heart attack those are angina symptoms those are you know heart clogged symptoms I'm like oh fuck I hadn't put that one in my brain, really. Oh, look, I know I got high cholesterol, but I, you know, I'm 51. You know, here's the problem: it's very hard to distinguish the difference between anxiety symptoms and real problems. And after a certain age, you just have to honor the symptoms and go fucking deal with it. We went through this together with my tingling hands, fine. But at some point, you just got You, you got to go. So, so I'm an anxious mess. I, that's a given. But maybe, you know, maybe these are real. Well, anyways. That sent me into a panic because I couldn't breathe that day, and I woke up. I didn't feel great either; chest was tight, n- the tingling, whatever. And then after reading those emails, I'm like, "Fuck! I'm gonna I'm gonna make a doctor's appointment." So I call the health center that my insurance is at, the Bob Hope Health Center, and I get the 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 operator the woman who makes appointments for both of the health centers and I'm like yeah I, I you know I had an event I guess I uh, was running and I, my arms went kind of numbish and you know I couldn't breathe and, and uh, I just wanted to see if I could get in to see my doctor today uh, and she goes you need to go to the emergency room and I'm like no no I, I think I'm all right I mean I, I she's like can you breathe and you breathe and I'm like yeah I can breathe I'm okay but I'm still like a little tight And she, you should go to the emergency room and I'm like really she goes, you might be having a heart attack and you might go to the doctor. There's an A forty five appointment, but you might get there and they're going to send you to the emergency room. And I'm like, holy fuck, maybe I am, maybe I'm having a heart attack. Maybe she knows something I don't know. And I'm right, you know, I'm on the precipice. So I'm like, what emergency room? She's like, I don't know, Cedar sinai And I'm like, that's not close to me. Now I got to look up an emergency room. See that in that moment, that was my biggest concern. Not like, do I need to go? But like, oh my God, where is it? I think you should know where your hospital in your neighborhood is so after she freaks me out entirely i get the appointment and i go and my doctor's out of town but i get a good nice doctor and we do all the tests that they can do the ekg the blood pressure the pulse the oxygen and the pulse whatever the fuck that is you know the breathing the stethoscope business i'm fine there but i go look i you know i had this thing when i was exercising she goes okay you can go to a cardiologist so I'm going to cardiologist today let you know how that goes this is what I'm doing with my 16 years sobriety and my uh, my, my, uh, my success I'm, I'm freaking out because I'm going to be digging up my driveway staining my deck I'll be driving a new car that I'm going to be completely uh, neurotic about and I'm going to a cardiologist congratulations Mark congratulations now let's talk to the lovely uh, Lynn Shelton film
1: director you know i shoot movies in seven and a half ten i like your
0: movies do you i do
1: i was hoping you might
0: no i do and i watched one this morning which one touchy feely ah i've seen like three i think three Uh uh, three i didn't see the the big shot movie with big shots in it (laughs) which like now, now Lynn Shelton's a big shot. Hey, it was yeah. just
1: uh, it was my. You know who was most excited and jealous who? about me doing a rom com with with Karen Knightley who? and Chloe Moretz, Joe Swanberg. He's like, uh, oh, "Are you kidding me? I would love to do that. I would. You're going to have so much fun." And I was like, "I was. Am I selling out, man? Like, what, what are you I selling doing? out? Whatever. You know. I no. I was really it was like, my. But my, it, It's
0: the question you asked, though. You well, said it. sure, of you course said I did. It.
1: Well, I was wondering. what it was the first movie I've ever directed mm-hmm. that I didn't write, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Is it going to feel like one of my movies? You know, like what am I doing? It's sort of new territory. It's much bigger budget than I've worked with. Although, because I've done so much TV, I was comfortable with all the." trailers and stuff but still you know it's like a different thing for my baby one of my babies and um he actually made me feel great you know he's like you can go back to doing your little shitty art things whatever like improv (laughs) movies ever but uh yeah this is gonna be great said the guy who has
0: not done that yet
1: exactly but who i think is dying to you know love to. oh yeah yeah absolutely he wants to try everything
0: he he's a great guy Yes, he. Is. he yeah. uh, we were in Chicago and we were taping my special at the Vic, and Bobcat was directing it. Goldtway, mm-hmm. and we just called Joe. We, How many we,
1: Bobcats are there, by the way? Yeah,
0: I know. They're, I don't know. You know, you're from Seattle. You've been around. <laughs> there, there might be a couple Bobcats. Yeah,
1: for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Someone who I don't know, who you only know as Bobcat. All right, but um, but no, we called Joe and we were like, we want to do some backstage shit, some inter- you know, some like, you know, just some stuff. Mm-hmm. Are you around? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll come down. So he was shooting. I'm both uh, He was just wandering around with me awesome. Being Joe Swanberg Awesome But okay How do you differentiate then Between like selling out And, and just doing television Or is all the television you do Like uh, on the level of artistic And creative expression That you need for oh, yourself Oh god no
1: No the TV directing Is Was always meant to be uh, You know a, a, a way to pay the rent And the bills While I While I So give me the freedom That I can continue to make You know yeah. Independent Stuff. Here's the thing I love about television; it keeps me on the set. That's like I love being on set. Yeah, I love directing. Mm-hmm. I love directing actors. You do love. I live for it. That I. It's my favorite thing. Working with actors. Well, it's fantastic. And when I do my own movies, I'm like, you know, my my for a lot while there. I mean, I made six movies in nine years, yeah. and you know, a fourteen months between them. That's not. A long time in, in sort of filmmaking. Yeah. You know, that's a pretty in good filmmaking rate. filmmaking
0: years. I mean, you, in director years. Swanberg, yeah. you know, yeah. aside. Well, he's making a movie in, while he's sweeping. He's, he's just got making a camera on. five movies at yeah. the same time.
1: But um, th- but even so, that's a year's over a year that I'm not on set, yeah, right? Yeah, So TV gets me on set. And as long as I'm really, really lucky, because I've worked on all these shows where people like each other and the work is... Fun and it's good, and you right. know, and I get to work with people that. But he, I've made, the, I had a revelation. I think you'll appreciate. Okay, maybe not.
0: No, probably will. I, re, I I'm, like revelation. I'm kind of
1: obsessed with, um, a yeah. little <laughs> bit with Chopped. This show, and <laughs> you're uh, just
0: coming into that.
1: I, I, I kind of am. I'm a little late, late to the party. And Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, the last whatever couple years or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'll sort of binge watch it when I can. And and uh, I realized very recently. Oh my God, this is why. I love television directing because it's like chopped. It's like I come in and I'm given my basket of ingredients. Yeah, you know? Right. I got a script. Right. I'm just handed a script. Yeah. I'm handed a bunch of cast. Yeah. Here's a crew right. that you've never met. Right. You know? And the kitchen and I just you're gotta, not familiar with. A total yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. I roll up my sleeves. I yeah. just gotta make the best meal yeah. I can, you right. know? And it's really it, it that really is it. It's invigorating and it's fun, but I'm not the you know, I'm not the admiral of the fleet. I'm the captain of the ship because, right. you know, the writer is the king sure. in, in TV. And I got to say, you know, in Seattle, there's this great filmmaking community. Seattle is where I live and there are a bunch of filmmakers and all, you know, the crew that have crewed my films and all the other filmmakers, those are my buds. Like those are everybody that yeah. I hang out with and I love you that. You never lived down here? No. Huh. I just, I just uh, you know, come down in my little Kia soul and yeah. <laughs> spend some time working and then go back up.
0: You're from Seattle.
1: Yeah, raised love in Seattle. Seattle. Really, really, really kind of obsessively love Seattle. Yeah. and I Luke, spent
0: time there. I know that place.
1: Spent time? Yeah,
0: I got an ex from there.
1: Ah. You oh, know really? my ex. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And that, that is, makes me feel really dumb, too, because I worked with your ex for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, only just recently, somebody pointed out to me that she was your ex. I had she's no certainly idea. not going to volunteer it. Nope, she do- didn't. And are I, you making I, I, a didn't movie? Do, I don't do like deep googling. Yeah. It's uh, we have been in the throes of developing a film, and then um, and now she's kind of going back and you know reworking, sort of reworking the script it. yeah yeah
0: that's a good story
1: it's an amazing story yeah
0: and do you know that whole area did you grow up in that where'd you grow up in i seattle? felt
1: i grew up in a very white part of town always i moved around very i mean most of seattle is very very white um what part uh well let's see i was raised in when i was in high school i was living in maple leaf uh-huh. um and then wedgewood yeah. And Ravenna. Yeah, so kind of northwest. Did your old
0: man work Northeast, for Boeing or sorry. something?
1: No, no. Um, never had that connection. Um my dad is a lawyer who yeah. then turned into a mediator. He's now been doing mediation, which is for people fits that want to even better
0: leave each other that kind of motivation? no no oh. no
1: like like disputes between right. an insurance company and right, you right. know an aggrieved person or something like that and, and it's
0: more diplomatic it's nice decent minded it is and a practice. lot cheaper you yeah. know it
1: avoids a right. lot of yeah it's great it's mm-hmm. really and he feels so like he's really really good at it and feels really good it. it's interesting I didn't think that I had a real connection to what my parents do yeah Um, until, you know, and then I realized, oh, actually, well, okay. That's like a people person thing. And, you know, being able to collaborate and stuff, you gotta, and then my mom. You sought that
0: out. You retrofitted that. Oh, I am like him. (laughs) I, I, I work with many people and I'm diplomatic and. These
1: revelations come to me a little, I'm a little bit late. How am I their child? I don't don't need (laughs) Exactly. Well, because there's no, you know, artsy fartsy stuff going on with them, but with, but his two brothers, uh. Are, one is a poet and one is a sculptor. Actually, mm-hmm. lives down here, so I always uh, identified strongly with them, you know. And my mom is the same way. She's got a uh, PhD in developmental psychology and ended up working in administrating um, early childhood education funds and all. You know, it all sounds very creative to me. It, you know, it is. And then the psychology thing, like those are my favorite classes in college because right. i want to know how people work and how they tick and well
0: that's what i know. like about your movies is that you know you don't hit anybody over the head like they like i always end up crying for some reason touchy-feely i was squirting out tears this morning
1: oh at man the end. Well, i, that I dentist can't even tell character, you what that means to me right really yeah josh Pice, man
0: yeah it's, it's like it's, it's at first you're like what, is he you know, like uh, mentally challenged or infantile <laughs> but then you realize it's just this weird kind of um, highly emotional, but closed. It's yeah. hard to be closed off and highly emotional.
1: As it turns out, yeah.
0: But 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 he does it. Like yeah. he's an interesting actor.
1: He's a really interesting actor. I mean, he's the kind of guy. If you start digging into his filmography, yeah. he tends to play these supporting character roles, yeah. and his range is insane. I, I like he's one sent. of those guys where
0: you're like, oh, that guy. You know, like I exactly. knew I knew him, but I know where from.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you find these. um like The the first time I, I became really obsessed with him was uh, Mike White made this movie called Year of the Dog with Molly Shannon starring. And Josh plays his her uh, boss. Yeah. And he just had this rhythm. He took all this time and he had, you know, Mike gave him all of this, all this room to be that character. And, and that character. And I just was like, who is this guy? I was yeah. so obsessed with him. he got to
0: use that guy. Yeah.
1: And then we happened to meet, you know, in a green room somewhere. And he... I sort of, I kind of gushed and gushed and gushed about him, and he was very, you know, he was very graceful. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you know, and then it came out. My, I was with my editor, my amazing editor, Ned yeah. Sanders, and he dropped that I had edited, I had directed Hump Day, which. Josh had just seen. And so he, you know, the tables returned and he started gushing and gushing. And so it was like, well, we have to work together, you know? And then, uh, so I wrote that part for him specifically and the other part for Rosemary DeWitt in Touchy Feely.
0: And you've used her a couple of times. Yeah, she's, and she's also Is she like incredible. an alter ego kind of person?
1: Uh, a little bit, yeah. I mean, that film was uh, a film that- Touchy was, Feely? Touchy Feely was a film that was inside of me that I had to make because it it was very it was a very personal film. I, I've never felt more- vulnerable making a movie. Really? Um, yeah.
0: Well, where does something like that start? How do you move through those feelings and and, and come up with that story? Why that story? Um, is it was so close to you?
1: Well, I wanted to do a bunch of things with that movie. I wanted yeah. to try to make a film with more than two or three people. I wanted right. to have an ensemble? ensemble. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to interweave stories, you know, have parallel eddings, ed- editing where you go back and forth between different storylines.
0: You'd never done that before?
1: I hadn't done it in my own work. Uh-huh. I'd always followed a straight, one straight linear story.
0: Because you had more control or you were more comfortable with that? And, it was like, just
1: what I did. Yeah. It was just what I had done so far. It was the so, way you wrote. Yeah. It right. was the way I thought yeah, way yeah, I wrote, yeah. the way yeah. the narrative worked um, for me. And so that, so Touchy Feely was a way to do that and and to get out of the one location. I mean, I had done a couple movies in a row, three movies in a row, actually, because My Effortless Brilliance was my second movie. And that was also- Which one? Like, in it. It's called My Effortless Brilliance. Yeah. It's on you know Amazon and iTunes and stuff. So just- so my very first, I've i I've made six movies. My first one was like I wrote a script and I cast people and mostly all, in fact, all local actors in, in Seattle, Seattle. They were all theater actors and I had been in the theater. I had been an actor. And so I just kind of like really made them, I wanted them to feel loved and even in the audition process, like, you know, I'd had, I'd had been traumatized by going to auditions and made being in felt, Seattle, feeling like shit. Yeah, yeah, in Seattle when I was young and still. And and then in New York. I moved to New York. Um, I was in New York in the 90s. All right, so maybe we should
0: go back All right. and load this up so we can get to Touchy Feely, the the, right. the most personal movie you've made. Yeah. Instead of talk about it out of the gate. Okay. So you're a little kid in Seattle. Do you have siblings?
1: Uh, I have a brother who's five years younger. And then when I was 16 or 17, my dad married my stepmom. Uh. So I was eight. My folks got divorced mm-hmm. and ended up. It's one of those relationships. It's really hard for me to imagine them, them together, together. Right. Yeah. My my mom and stepdad definitely. Yeah, they're fit. good. My dad and stepmom. So they definitely found people fit. they love. One side totally introverted. The other side totally yeah. extroverted. You know, very, but they were yeah.
0: reasonably good raising you separately. Type I
1: think and... so. You know, I. It's funny because um, I I have only very. I don't have any traumatizing memories of the divorce, but, um, I sort of remember thinking, grown up, things like, "Oh, it will, be very, it will be very interesting for me to be able to experience these two different environments." You mm-hmm. know, like yes. I just sort of don't remember have really having a problem with it. And that whole idea of of pe- kids, you know, feeling like, "Oh, it's their fault." Like I was like, "Why would you think it was your fault?" It's nothing to do with you. You know, I was like, uh-huh. "I didn't understand." So um,
0: you knew that then. I thought at I at eight.
1: That's what I yeah. Yes. That's what I remember being very mm-hmm. mature Good. about it. Sure. And then in and then in retrospect, I found out recently that I was I was kind of a little shit. And when we moved into this new house, or yeah. anyway, it was with a first time maybe that my my stepdad moved in with yeah. us I drew a map. I don't remember this, but I supposedly presented my parents, my uh-huh. my mom and stepdad, with a map of yeah. where they were allowed in the house to kiss. Uh-huh. You know, there's yeah. shit like that, right? You know, with and I get with the new guy with the new guy, yeah. Right. And my God, my, I mean, it seemed he like was fairly
0: self protective and a decent boundary for an I eight suppose, or nine year old.
1: I suppose, but well, why wouldn't um, you be
0: uncomfortable with your mom kissing some new guy on some level?
1: <laughs> I know. <Yeah. laughs>
0: it seemed to make perfect sense. I don't know that. Maybe should give you. Maybe it was empowered, not yeah. shitty. Yeah. I'm telling I'm going to spin it. But if you want to see yourself as a little (laughs) shit, you could do that. (laughs)
1: Thank you. They did end up with who they were supposed to end up with. So was your
0: brother like a save the marriage kid?
1: My brother, I think, you know, my mother told me that she um, just had a really hard time getting pregnant. So I was a love child. They were really young when they had me. um, Got pregnant when they were both Oberlin college students. And That's I was really young grad school or undergrad. No, no. undergrad. I was oh my dad's God. 21st birthday present. Wow. My mom had just turned 22. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if they would have stayed together if right. it hadn't been for me, but they decided to make a go of it. And then my, my brother came along a few years later and and, uh, and then, yeah, it all kind of went How's to shit. How's he doing? That was all for the best though. He's great. He's a transportation planner also in Seattle um, with a couple kids. You know, we were so, I think we were far enough apart as we were growing up that we just never felt I never I, I don't feel like I got really close with him yeah. until we became adults
0: that's good though it's not, It's good now you which got, is fine you got yeah. nieces and nephews and whatnot. Yeah. and yeah. you got kids
1: and then I got I got one kid and he's got a couple of, of kids so it's nice because I only have one I only have the, the only right. kid and so it's nice that he has my kid Milo has somebody to have a shared history with cousins bit, and they get along yeah and they're in i never the same had cousins town. the same town it's nice yeah. that's what
0: people used to do
1: yeah they don't have to live together but they can see each other enough generations
0: we... are your folks still there
1: yeah my folks are all there my so they got grandparents, kids and are gr- yeah your husband's there
0: kids or your husband's got other kids no no no, no. his oh. his parents okay yeah my in-laws right but you grew up before the tech money came in so it was sort of like uh yeah. like a like not that big a deal that city
1: yeah, I mean, you want to take a look at what Seattle used to be. There's a great movie, Cinderella Liberty, with James Caan. It's a great movie. Oh, I love that movie. But and... it's
0: sort of interesting, though, those 70s movies, really, they, they, they seem to be tonally um, appropriate for the Pacific Northwest, you know, because mm-hmm. like, even if you watch Five Easy Pieces right, on the, on the, the pieces. road, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, towards the end where he just gets on that truck, that that there's some dark, weird kind of thing. I, I have a, a, a real um, emotional I don't even, I can't identify the attraction to that. I spent two mm. years in Alaska as a kid. Oh, really? But the you feel like you're closer to the top of the world, and yeah. a, but not in a good way necessarily. <laughs> there's sort of a foreboding to it. There something. is there or is it yeah. me?
1: No, Do I could f- totally, I see what you're, I, I mean, uh, Every time yeah. I even
0: see Seattle, even looking at it in your movie mm. today, there's an intensity to it.
1: Yeah, that, there's a resonance.
0: Yeah, it, with the big trees and the rocks and yeah. the shoreline and all that shit. It yeah, just,
1: and the and the skies. You yeah, know? gray. I mean, we have the most. It's gray, but it's not just a blanket. I remember really being surprised at how much I missed the skies in New York. I was there for you know almost a decade, and when really? it gets overcast, it's just like. It's just like, f- they have a lot of really ugly, flat, glary yeah, right, skies. right? And Seattle, it's never like Huge. that. It's just like, it's this beautiful texture, yeah. you know, shapes of yeah. all different colors of gray, yeah, but also, uh, you know, other hues in there. That's I mean, what I
0: feel like it's the top of the world. Gorgeous. Like, you feel like there's a weight to it all, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I But I, I, I feel it.
1: And in this, well, and you also have that, it's almost like Scandinavia in that you get these super, super long nights. Yeah. In the winter, and then really long days in the summer. And it's, it's, I, I spend like a, you know, I'll do, I'll do a pilot, I'll shoot a pilot or something down here. I'm here for like a few weeks, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's not, it's not like that down here. Like that, you know, it's much more even, you know, when you're,
0: yeah, no, it's bad. (laughs) It's like, eventually you just don't like you don't even know time is passing and you're like where's my life gone and yeah the weather never
1: changes yeah no it's just you
0: spend a lot of time in your car and then one day (laughs) you're like wow 10 years went by did i do anything let me look myself up (laughs) 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 so all right so you're this precocious Uh... kid giving your parents bossing them around in yeah. Seattle. But little apparently shit. apparently, you're not a depressive. You don't seem to wear the weight of Seattle on well, you. Well,
1: that's what Touchy Feely was actually dealing with. I did go through this period of depression about, Later. about five years ago. Five yeah, Five yeah. years ago. Well, I've had, you know, like I've had my little bouts. I mean, I remember there were moments in college when I was curled up in a ball in the back of the closet. You know, I definitely have had these, m- these moments in my life, but- um, it got especially bad about yeah. The peak of it was about five six years ago. It was right around when I was making your sister's sister. Oddly, so weird that I was as I was shooting it and as I was editing it. I, the whole time I was just kind of going, "Is this gonna be likable? Like, I can't tell if this is a good movie." That, that
0: was your that, that was your that. style of depression. Not like what's the point of doing any of this? No, no, I, it, was, I will.
1: it was that I had that. It was I was quite a, it was. It was very shameful for me because my work, ever since I started making features, yeah. it was like, "Oh my God, this is what I was always meant to do." I right. sort of totally, and it was late in yeah. life. I was yeah. thirty-nine when I made my first feature, uh-huh. and so everything sort of came to me in a. Um, I sort of self-actualized quite late in life, and and me too felt it's it's <laughs> late bloomers unite. I I love it. Um, never thought you know all I know is going to be an artist. Never thought. In a million years, I'd be able to make a living at it. Yeah, and I was fine with that. You know, I'd always part-time teach, I'd part-time edit, I'd whatever you know do to pay the bills, and then just keep making my art. And yeah. then I I have always been at my happiest and most deeply joyful right. when I'm making my work. Right? right. So here I am in the most one of the most beautiful places on earth, which is an island north of Seattle in the San Juan Islands. And Which one? I promised not to tell, so I can't tell. Oh. This is the way we, were, we able we're able to get access to that location was by not promising not to tell exactly where it was. Um, and and with this unbelievable cast, Emily Blunt, Rosemary Duet, Mark Duplass, um, we have a great. You know, I've written eighty pages of a of a script that we're. You know, it's going to be a great film. I've got my favorite people, my crew up there. I mean, it was the whole thing was sort of perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And I would literally. Wake up in the morning and be like, what's, what's the point of this? Why are we doing this? I'm Oh, right. Making a movie? Why? I mean, it was... But it wasn't and I, dread. You know, uh, I mean, it was close enough. It yeah. was really... It was bad, you know, and I I felt so I felt so much shame about it Hmm. because I was it was such a mystery to me. I mean, it was like everything on paper is going so beautifully. Right. Everything you have your heart's desire and you can't feel the joy. I mean, it just drove me crazy. And that's what touchy feely really was, was about, you know, what is this thing that you can't talk about to anybody because it's so it feels somehow there's this deep shame associated with it and this mystery
0: but what but you didn't were you quick to sort of even in exploring it decide that it was founded in like because in in touchy-feely these are people that are not following their hearts or or had gotten locked off from them somehow as opposed to saying like i have a chemical imbalance i mean right experiencing that weird feeling of uh, Emptiness when everything is going well is not that unusual for creative people. It's I know a it was new moment. for me.
1: It was horrible um, but, because but, it was it was new. I wasn't used to it, and it was definitely chemical. But it was interesting because I came at it from this very, you know, like I've had I've had I had a, I recognized the feeling yeah. from the one day I was really lucky for many many years where I would have one black day a month you know, mm. a day before my period or whatever, you know, it was like this sort of hormonal thing. Yeah. And my period would come and I'd go, oh, great, that's what it was, thank God, you know.
0: It's amazing how, how some <laughs> women are surprised by that every fucking month. <laughs> every
1: month. <laughs> every month, something
0: I'm like, wrong with what me? is wrong? Yeah, What's going on? And then is my period horrible. Comes, oh,
1: oh, right, okay, yeah. God, you idiot, yeah. <laughs> well, we have a regular cycle, yeah. so it's hard. Anyway, but you know, I, 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 recognize that. So I was like, okay, this is clearly a hormonal thing. This is physiological. Right. Let's look, you know, at what to do. And I, I remember I was like, Oh, you're not eating enough protein oh, sure. and you need the right. amino acids to make the neurotransmitters. And, you know, and so I like did all this stuff and took my multivitamin, my B, you know, multi B complex, whatever. I did all that stuff. And I was still having a problem. And I remember somebody telling me, you know, I don't think it's just physiological. You know, and really it's just and then I started exploring in you know, a meditation and trying to like figure out other things to, you know, just yeah. kind of other ways in like and, massage,
0: <laughs> like Reiki, Reiki, Reiki like actually. Potions. I'd always
1: wanted to do Reiki. And that was my excuse was, oh, I have to do it uh, for um, research because I'm making this movie where there's going to be Reiki. And so I was able to finally explore that. But, shit, but
0: were, yeah. you, were you? Dark when you made Touchy Feely. I
1: was, I was still, I was sort of coming out of it, so I wasn't super in the. It like the peak of it really was your sister, sister, and then you know only after I'd actually finished completing making it was I able to say, oh, I really love this movie. <laughs> I'm really proud of it. You know, I it was sort of. It was almost you, like did the work. Well, yeah, it was almost like I realized I heard somebody talking about postpartum depression once. And she talked about how she sees this beautiful baby. You know, she saw it mm-hmm. after it was born and was like understood objectively yeah. that it was a lovable being and that right. she should love it and it was lovable and couldn't, just couldn't feel that connection to it. It was very much like that for me with that film where, um, and then only later was I able to actually... But not with your kid. My kid, I didn't have postpartum depression. I loved him right away. That's good. Yeah.
0: Well, I noticed though, also in um, in Touchy Feely, because it's fresh in my head, that, you know, the those... Weird um, kind of intense close-up shots of skin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then there was another shot when she was kind of tripping of um, b- you know concrete breaking down mm-hmm. and that that it struck me as this sort of realization of temporal. You know that everything's sort of temporary and decay and and, mm-hmm. and 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 life and what does it mean?
1: Yeah, and the connection. Did I read into that? You, no, not at all. And the connection. I was trying to draw a connection between the cracks and the concrete and the cracks. You know, those, yeah, I got those it. Super close up cracks. It's the only see two close ups. Delivered yeah. message yeah. delivered. <laughs> Thank
0: you. But <laughs> but the,
1: But yeah, she's you know she's not twenty. You know, and there's a reason that character isn't isn't twenty. And and what was going on for that character, Rosemary Dewitt's character in Touchy Feely, is that. Yeah, my my concept with her was that she had been in a relationship that hadn't been so, you know, she's sort of been suppressing her own identity and her own fulfillment, you know, Mm -hmm. in her 20s, into her 30s, and then was... And the healing arts, pretty newly, which is what they do. Well, she gets she gets out of the you know, right, she gets divorced, the and and goes, you know, changes, hits the reset button at thirty six or whatever, right? And goes in massage school and just a, puts this on a whole, whole new life. By the this way. is backstory. She, you know, goes out with guys who are younger. She's supposed to the the guy she's with, Scoot McNary, is, uh, you know. Younger dude, somebody who doesn't have all the cares of the world, you know, maybe your old, her right. ex was like an insurance agent well, sure. or something, whatever. She sort of had, you know, he was who her parents would have approved of. And and this is somebody they wouldn't approve she's of. Just working they some were stuff out. Yeah. And so she's really like, she's found this, she's going through her own sexual revolution. Like she's really, and she feels like, yeah, you know, I'm doing it. I've got a thirst for life. and mm. But this depression that comes on is really like her soul knocking. Mm-hmm. It's right. like, oh.
0: Not biological.
1: You're not this, all this like. You know, living life and screwing your boyfriend in right. your brother's bathroom, and right. you know, <laughs> yeah. trying to be a rebel—like it's really not what it's all about. Like, there's other, other shit that needs to be attended to, you know. And so it was—it's sort of like uh,
0: it's a ba- it's a it's a weird feeling at a certain age where you realize that you know, through habit and fear, that you are disconnected from something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Why? But let me ask you this: yeah. Why? Because uh, I have I. Uh, there's another interesting part of the movie that I want to know if you thought of it
1: mm-hmm
0: that why a dentist
1: oh um you know i think it was honestly a holdover because josh and i had been that actor and i had been talking for a couple years about uh about i had been throwing around ideas and for a while we actually were on the road of making another film and his the character was going to be a dentist yeah and so we had talked a lot about who this guy might be and you know uh, it, it was it was this funny idea where he was actually going to end up becoming a cult leader, and so this is like a little bit of a a, a reformation of this character we'd already been right. talking about. Right. And I can't remember who brought it up because we really were going back and forth about what the occupation would be, and he might have come up with a dentist or or I might have I can't remember. But you know what's interesting about it? Things.
0: like I've talked about this with one other person whose father mm-hmm. was a dentist, but there was a passage in I think John Updike's. Um, couples Mm -hmm. and and it's about a dentist one of the characters in it is a dentist and there's this whole passage about how the immediacy and and relentless nature of decay is something that dentists have to deal with every day over and over again the the sort of the that's what you're fighting wow like that that like you see it in the mouths every day that this 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 decay yeah that and it, it always struck me as a very sort of weird existential uh, wow. um, realization i i tried to get it out of my friend whose dad was a dentist but he just wouldn't have it but <laughs> but but i think you know metaphorically or symbolically there's something about it within the movie that works like that so if you want to say you were aware of that from here on out i when will talking i'm at- stealing
1: that <laughs> i do that all the time by the way because i just i make films on this very gut level of, but, you know, doesn't you know, that read, though? People, doesn't that read? Oh, totally. Totally scans. And the other thing I think somebody else probably pointed out to me as well was the intimacy of, you know, I mean, it's for both of their occupations. They have these incredibly intimate acts with strangers. Sure. You know, here open she is. Open your with mouth. Us, and then open your mouth. I mean, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. it's incredibly intimate. Yeah, yeah. And yet, you know, there's this issue with a real connection. Intimacy. Right? Yeah, intimacy. The trust yeah. and all that. And you just so talking about intimacy you just reminded me. Even though we're not, we haven't, we've sort of skipped ahead somehow. Again,
0: you did very it. Very
1: nonlinear. You Sorry, did it. that's the way my brain.
0: works. No, it doesn't. We just established that your brain works linearly, linearly, linearly. Oh, I can't do it.
1: <laughs> um, I the way I got through the vulnerability that I felt in making that movie was coming to my both my crew and my cast and saying, "I'm I'm like laid bare made, making this." Thing. And, uh,
0: what about your husband? What about my husband? What about, did, didn't you, it, it, does he enter the equation when you're all sad and laid bare with your crew? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> did you did you hip him to the issues? Or you just yeah, yeah, okay. sure. Okay. All right, fine. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. He's right. totally, but.
0: He's on board. He gets it. Hmm, he's yeah, on the but, same page.
1: But he's not on set with right. me. No, what does he, he not, do? Uh, he is, uh, right now, he's making furniture in. His in our garage. Mm-hmm. Um, wood, and, wood furniture, yeah, Working the surfaces. Gorgeous. It's not a large garage, so he's able to make like coffee tables. Uh, and I th- although I think he's going to make a bed frame and like and then assemble it elsewhere with
0: uh with uh but, found wood with wood from salvaged barns and things. Sometimes and that, he's good with the surfaces and the finishes. And he the, is. Uh, he
1: had a really interesting. You know, we've been together forever, and it's since
0: you were a kid.
1: Uh, well, I would consider my that age at the time to be a kid. I think I was. We st- I started we started living together when I was 24, and he and then got married at 28, hmm. and that was well, a long that's pretty good time that's, ago.
0: Yeah, but that's four years. It, it, it seemed like you meant it. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, you were in. <laughs> you yeah. didn't get married ten yeah. years in.
1: But the changes that we've gone through at the time. Mm. He was he had been plucked. His original plan was to get an engineering degree and be an industrial designer, but then he got sort of plucked from the masses and he became an MTV VJ. And uh Which one? Kevin Seal is his name. He was on from like eighty nine to ninety no eighty seven to ninety one. Right. Um and he you, uh you we met have him a friend who uh no no, he actually is from Seattle too, so we were we um, yeah. knew each other there And then I kind of Followed him out mm-hmm. Um, I was like yeah I'm gonna work in the theater I'm gonna be an actress In the theater And then I was like And I'm gonna also figure out What the hell's going on Between me and this guy So he was able to then After parlay that into like voiceover talent Kind of Corporate yeah. commercial right. stuff yeah. And we and then I dragged him Back to Seattle When I was quite pregnant And there just isn't Enough work Of that sort yeah, so now To make you, a living you, So we went, went to Industrial garage. design school And now he's, the, in, the, in, the and he's in the garage And making making he worked in a real j- Actual shop Getting paid good money But then when I got really busy in my career he his that place he was working kind of went downhill went bankrupt actually and so when he was looking around for a new job it was he realized we realized the most important job you could be doing actually is taking care of our kid who's deaf and who needs you know is like was Mm -hmm. going to a lot of different you know driving him to the special school and right so yeah, it turns out he's a much better full-time parent than I am. Great, and uh, yeah, it suits him. They're so, like best nice. friends. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. so great. So I can leave without feeling. You know, like, like I know the.
0: You know what you're doing. Here's home the fires list. Fires are burning. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I right, mean, right, right. He's the, one Here who's are the numbers. The that have been. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. All
1: right.
0: So you tell your crew that you're laid bare. Yeah. So open. I remember
1: the first day we did a we did a table read of this script that I'd written, mm. and there were parts of it that I. Um, I was like, I just want to skip over this part because it just made me feel like I felt like I was going to vomit, you know? Really? And then I was like, no, Lynn, it's okay. Like, we're going to do it, you know? And it, I don't know. It was, it was, and I just was really honest. I said, look, this, I, the revelation I had during this in a very deep way. Which part? Uh, the part where she describes um losing her virginity. Right. Which is kind of. In the house. From, with the from my Livingston. Life. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of just. Right out of you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah.
1: Made me feel pretty, yeah,
0: so you were seeking closure with this script in a way,
1: yeah, I in was some weird way I was a movie that I was like, okay, I gave myself permission to make a movie that was not going to be accessible or commercial or you know, um uh one of the reasons that I was the editor was that I started as an editor and I wanted to see if I could still do it, but also i I didn't want to i didn't but, I but it's
0: interesting, you would think that because it's got like three happy endings.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the places it goes and the people at a, you know, it's hard to make a compelling narrative with with really passive, aggressive or just passive, you know, closed off people. It's it's just and it wasn't everybody, but half of but the But that cast. but that's
0: like that's sort of a question of of you know something you brought up earlier, which is on my mind, because I saw mm-hmm. uh, Annie Baker play in New York. I saw the flick. Mm-hmm. This idea of space. Mm-hmm. And not over-explaining. Yeah, and and finding the truth in emotion in you know in space. Yeah, between people. Yeah, you're aware of that.
1: So aware of that. <laughs> so interested in that. So interested in not over-spelling everything out. Like you know, I just gave you a rundown on the backstory of this character. Right. Like that's just a taste of. The incredible, you know, up the wazoo backstory we have for everybody in every relationship. But that's in every your movie relationship
0: with actors. You give it them. It is, that. but
1: it's really important for me too right. to have them have these really a really clear sense of who they are, so that when you know the, the chemistry between them is palpable, or the or the te- tensions from the past is is right there, and you can feel it. I don't want the audience to know all that crap. They don't have to know all that shit. Something you know, if they get a touch a, a little. But it's, it's in just, pieces. It's fine. But is, for me, it's all about creating that. When do you reality. tell them that? Oh, it's months. We're we're usually or four weeks before shooting. Yeah, there's a lot of. You sit talking. down with all of them. Yeah, or or a lot of phone. I'm up in Seattle, so right. I'm on the phone with them a lot. I mean, but like your sister, sisters, sister's are great example. I mean, I developed those characters with Mark and Emily, and it was actually another actress before Rose, like, but the script in is the us. script. But before. I do it. In, I do it in a kind of upside down. Play. No, I do it in an upside down way, where I'm I'm sort of developing the script alongside the development of the characters, mm-hmm. because I want to know who the characters are. I have to know who the characters are before I can believably, um, you know, write what they would believably do in a scene. Mm-hmm. How what they would say, how they would act, and the more you know about the characters, the easier it is to write what they would do, because it's like you're then you can just sort of improvise. The scene out in your head because you know who they are, right? But, you know, I don't like to throw people into an improv situation when they I don't have any of that stuff, right? You know, they're just like which and then lot, it's like a little song, you know, it's like which a, a lot of people do. Soft shooting, yeah, and that, it drives that, me. I could, yeah,
0: because I would think that most people that do those kind of movies where it's loose like that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, they don't get that type of backstory. They don't get type that type of direction, and you can sort of feel it.
1: Yeah, and I and, mean, I I feel like I can, yeah,
0: yeah, and also like. I don't think that all. You know, that's a unique thing for a director to do—to put that much collaboration and 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 uh, time into making these characters come to life. Most people I, I've talked to or, or I've seen they. There's a trust with the actor to just do his job.
1: Right. Exactly. And
0: and I don't know that that's always good.
1: It's less fun for me, too. Because, again, my favorite thing about making movies is working with actors. So the more excuse I have to get in there with them and figure that stuff out. But, again, it's going to feed the narrative.
0: But is that because do you see yourself as a failed actress? No. Good.
1: Not at all.
0: Well, you wanted to be an actor.
1: I when I was an actor, I mean, I started taking classes. I was very serious in my, you know, I started when I was like eleven, taking classes and doing whatever, whatever when I started. could do. That was when I started. I took a how to be a clown class. You did, yeah. And I was, I was. Do you remember Super any of shy. That? Oh yeah. What I remember is that it, the the liberation of putting literally, you know, like I mean, it was a, it was makeup, but it was a mask, and yeah. it was like right. you know, white face, and uh, and walking around Seattle Center on my stilts. And interacting with people At in a way yeah, that I never, stuff? that was like our graduation yeah. or whatever. I, it was a way that, you know, yeah, they were like this, hi, mm-hmm. um, that I never could have done in real life. And so it was this outlet, it was a way for me to interact with people. And there were there were two things that I did, um, like safe ways that I found to interact with other humans and connect with other humans. It was through, you know, being, I could be somebody else completely utterly on a stage and mm-hmm. make that connection with an audience and with other actors on the stage. You know, that was just like buzzy stuff. It was amazing. And then there was also photography. So in high school, again, super, I was I was in this um, brief period of mandatory busing. So even though I grew up in white neighborhoods, the reason I connected so strongly to um is I'm Down, is yeah. that I was bused to, yeah. uh, from sixth grade through high school to the central district where the African-American community was. Yeah. And that was, it was a very, um, uh, it, the the culture was very African American of those schools that I went right. to, and middle school through high school. And so I went to the same High School. You know, Jimi Hendrix went to and Quincy Jones and Garfield High School. And
0: and you were a dark room rat.
1: And I was a dark room rat. And I remember uh, I would hide behind my telephoto lens of my Pentax two thousand, and I would like K one thousand, and I would uh and I would find these ways in. You know, I would capture these intimate moments mm-hmm. of vulnerability you know yeah. across the gym yeah. with some guy you know and so it was it was the safe place to be but I was still looking always looking for connection like we always are yeah right? um, but between that and then the acting which enabled me to just like become somebody else and not worry and I was very self-conscious you know that's um, interesting
0: though that, that the photography was the outlet I did photography in high school yeah and I it, I didn't I didn't think about it the same way. Mm-hmm. Because it's not really connecting. It's almost like no, s- stealing. You're moments.
1: stealing and you're observing. Yeah. You know, but you're
0: the freak with the camera. But There's i that still, girl with the camera.
1: Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I still felt connected. I felt weirdly connected. When you can find these moments of vu- vulnerability, you know, unguarded moments, you feel like, Oh, I they're not so sure. scary. Sure. They are somebody I could, you know, maybe I could have a conversation with someday or whatever. You right. know? And um yeah, so that was a really important Thing for me, tool for me, developmentally, I think, um, and it's
0: very odd though to see someone like sometimes when I overhear conversations uh-huh. that you know are charged,
1: mm-hmm. you know, I
0: feel like I'm I'm in violation of something, like because for the, sure,
1: that's y- you know, why I kind of stopped making docs because I was I did documentaries for a uh-huh. long time and and that it yeah that's a uncomfortable zone for me you know where you're you're sort of um, maybe you're shooting something that you that the person doesn't even realize that they're yeah. exposing themselves in some right. way or the way you present it. It's like, ah, oh, it makes me right. nervous, you know? Um,
0: right, so, so there you exciting, are. You're doing, but, you're so doing the photographs, the failed, and you're acting. the failed
1: actress thing. So I move, I get a BA in drama school of drama at the school of Dramas. Actually, for a year, I was at Oberlin for a we, year and we, then went to the University of Washington. But, but it's yeah. interesting
0: because of what you're saying. Because I talked to uh, Sir Ian McKellen in here. Oh my god! But he, because it was interesting that what we came upon and whether he did it on my show or not for the first time was that. Because he was so heavily closeted culturally as a gay man at the time he was um, coming up mm-hmm. that he identifies, you know, Shakespeare and acting as a way to to have the emotions that uh, people in relationships that they weren't didn't oh have God. to be culturally ashamed of. Wow. To have them. Wow. So I thought that was kind of. It
1: is. It's like it's this conduit for stuff that I mean, yeah. I found it, you know, to be extremely therapeutic you know to yeah. be able to do and then when i moved to new york after after college
0: you went to first Oberlin. i went
1: to i went to Oberlin for a year in um, the acting program the very first in acting and also creative writing i was i i had always i was a poet too so it was actually my very I, first I was two. art form I, you know i feel like yeah. we have a lot in common yeah yeah i'll show I you some so. of my
0: poems maybe awesome i have only two or three there, <laughs> that that I that I'm proud of. Them. I yeah. Occasionally I, write a poem now.
1: I love poems. I do I, I you wish I wrote. Poems? I do. And really, I wish you I read poetry. More. It's one of the things. Like I just went through and called a whole yeah. bunch of books, realizing, okay, this is ridiculous. Like right. I don't need. And I, I couldn't give a single poetry book away. It was like uh, no, those no. They seem special. Absolutely, you should yeah. always have as much poetry in the house as possible. But yeah, so I I went for creative writing. Uh, I got a really bad experience. Where I found out later that the guy hadn't even read my samples, but I was dying for I'd been writing all through poetry. I mean, sorry, all what? through high school, and I really wanted some feedback. And the direct the the poetry teacher basically said, you know, you can't, you, you know, you I never let freshmen in for a reason. But it was he kind of dismissed my poems. and I found out later he didn't even read the ones that I'd submitted. how did you to find another. that out? Um, I can't remember some inside way. It was uh, it, and then I stopped writing because of that for like a really long time. It was so dumb. But yeah, I had a hard time. Uh... Anyway, so I, 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 I was an actor. <laughs> well, you had a hard time. What? What happened? <laughs> adolescence kind of was uh, did a number on me, which uh, it does a lot for, Be- because for a lot you didn't of fit in, young or? women. Oh, okay. No, there's this book called Reviving Ophelia. Do you know about this book? No. It was, it was a huge... Boy, I talk about so many revelations on this show. It's a little embarrassing. But I was writing the script of my first uh, feature, which is really about the way that we are different selves in different points in our lives. Mm-hmm. And the the pre- and post-adolescent selves mm. were something I was looking back on and was like, wow, that was fascinating because those were like polar opposite kind of personalities when I was in my late 30s, I was looking back at that. And and then I was telling a friend about this script I was writing and she said, well, you got to read this book. And it was like, oh, I wasn't the only one. Like there's this thing that happens when you become sexualized for some, some girls, some women, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, where I was, I just felt like I was... The, you know peak the top of my game when I was like 12 13 and yeah. I was writing stories writing poetry painting Confident. playing music doing yeah acting doing all this stuff mm-hmm. and taking photographs and um I had such a clarity of vision and a confidence in my voice and yeah you know? and then yeah cut to like 20 I just what, I, but what was, about 14 15 16. well it was like a gradual grinding down, okay. I think, you know, yeah. and it wasn't anything to do with my folks. My, I was always told by both of them, you can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. You sure. can be present. Sure. You can be an artist. Whatever it was want.
0: about the culture of high school. Very and-
1: feminist. And it was just, it was society really, you know, and this kind of become like, I, I got really big boobs and yeah. I was, I could very like people were, I felt, and I already had the tendency to be sort of self-conscious. No, that wasn't, I don't think I did. I was very androgynous and tomboy before then I felt sort of betrayed by my body, and yeah, like, right. what the fuck, you know, yeah, that right. isn't who I am. And, right, and it felt like that was the first thing people, everybody noticed about me, even though I don't know if it was or not. And I was sort of wearing tents, and and then it got into this whole thing, like, you know, oh, are you looking at me? Don't look at me, you know, right. oh, look at me, look at, you know, like that whole like, yeah, look, at me, yeah. look at me, don't look at me, look at me. That's a kind of a, a thing that happens as well, I think. And then just the sexual charge, I think, of high school for sure. But yeah, I don't know. It just really something about that really kind of ground out my sense of agency and so there was really a period of time when all I really could do was act because somebody else was telling it was like I was a puppet I was saying what other people told and, me to and say and all this weird you know?
0: attention and self-consciousness diminished your confidence and creativity
1: it did and so I felt like there was this trickle you know I didn't start directing feature films until i was 39 for a reason i don't think i was capable of it back then and i needed to shed some of that self-consciousness and gain a sense of maturity and a sense of authority it's it's
0: funny i have a a, an ex from years ago who actually lives in seattle she's she's a sculptor and uh when i met her in boston she you know she's a real tough jersey girl and she used to bartend at a strip joint but she wasn't a stripper it Mm -hmm. was not her bag and uh and did uh, she quit? And and I said, "Why did she quit?" And she said, "I got tired of men looking at me like I was
1: meat." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess it gets a little boring, but I. But women, I knew so many women who could. Who could? Mm-hmm. I remember this woman who was. I mean, women who would just relish. Sure. Their bodies and, yeah. you know, and I remember, you know, certain class and people. And I was just like, I was so horrified right. by my body. I was just really, I don't know what it was. It just, for me, it was really and tough then But why the, and
0: did the writing uh, go away as a form of expression? Just because that idiot shut you down, basically? I think a
1: little bit because the idiot shut me down and because I just sort of didn't have as much to say. I didn't feel like I had anything to say or what I was saying. You couldn't had process say. what we're
0: talking about now.
1: Not at all. Yeah.
0: Because you weren't aware of it, really. Exactly. I right. was in
1: it. You know, I was too close to it. Yeah. So
0: acting became the thing.
1: So acting became the thing. Yeah. And it was a little bit my, you know, again, my sort of secret shame that, well, is it because it's really the only thing I can do right now. Like, I have to be an artist. I always knew I wanted to be an artist. Yeah. But, you know, this was sort of, it was down, I was down to this. So like, this was all I could do. And then when I moved to New York to do it, it wasn't. It was uh, it, When I started trying to make a living at it, it just it was like, oh, this sucks, you know?
0: So you did a year at Oberlin.
1: A year at And Oberlin. then you go to
0: New York and go where?
1: No, no, I was at the School of Visual... I was a, I'm sorry, I was at the School of Drama. I got a degree in... I got a BA in Drama at the University of Washington. Then I moved to New York. Um, so, oh,
0: so you went back home after Oberlin. Oberlin, for, And then you yeah. went to New York with a degree to- in Drama yeah. to be an actress on Broadway.
1: Yeah. Although not Broadway. I wanted to be at the New York Theatre workshop uh-huh. where they were doing carol churchill plays and i saw my friend garrett dillahunt in mad forest and i was like oh my god this is it that's uh-huh. what i want that's what i want and then i found out how much those actors made and that there was no way they could possibly pay the rent on that on ever. my dream job sure. ever yeah and i was like what the how do you i don't get how, how, is how it, what is this it sucks so you know? how long were you in new york I was there for nine and a half years. So you
0: stuck with it? No,
1: I didn't. So oh. what I did was after a couple years of doing a lot of, and I, I did a lot of fun, cool downtown yeah. stuff. And then, and then really turn, and it was, it had always been an addiction. Like I, you know, that was really what it felt like. I was like, ah, I have to be in a show. What's coming up next? I got to be in a show. And I really transferred my addiction to the darkroom. That was when I got, became really serious about photography. So at the International in Center for Photography in New York, I started really? taking classes and like, yeah. And then built up enough of a body of work to get into grad school, the school of visual arts. I went to the- For um, photography. For photography. So my MFA was in photography and related media. So you
0: got it. You like the chemistry of it all and the light and the processing. Yeah, and being
1: being the looker and not the looked at was much healthier for me. And it was
0: also a time where you had to know your chemicals and your papers and your films and your stocks.
1: Yeah. Although it wasn't a super- nerd out. Like what I loved about, and luckily, I mean, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it weren't for the case that this was not a fine print. It wasn't all about the fine print. Like I almost applied to Yale, but that was really all about getting the perfect Dark but it wasn't digital. It was starting. Digital was starting. Right. And that's why it was called an MFA in photography and related media because uh-huh. they were just starting to right. to learn. But and you knew how to you knew your way around the darkroom. I did for sure. And yeah. my and I was going in doing you know the Viv- Vivian Mayer Meyer. I always mm-hmm. forget how to say her name. Um, style photographs Helen Levitt, Robin Frank. That was how I was started with street photography, black and white street photography. But then by the time I got out, I was doing. I was like. I was somewhere straddling the line, I didn't really know, between video art and experimental film because I was able to take those classes. And so I started by making these little, I started in filmmaking by making these little handcrafted movies that I did everything myself. And I was like shaking super eight and then blacking out my bathroom and cracking it up with a hammer and hand developing and getting, you know, solarizing it and just doing, you know, really experimenting. It was pure self expression. I wasn't trying, I wasn't thinking about an audience. I was, Really wanted to be a serious artist,
0: so you're doing like you know working the surface of the film and all that shit, and
1: yeah, but also exploring other things. Peggy Awesh was a uh, my thesis advisor, and uh-huh. um, and so like my, who
0: was she? At? It hit me to her. She's
1: uh she was sort of the Super Eight film experimental film queen of the '80s. Mm-hmm. Did all kinds of really groovy and she was your she was
0: your mentor yeah at that time they
1: wanted they encouraged you or they required you to find an art a working artist that you admired to be your thesis advisor as opposed to somebody on the staff yeah it was great and so i saw all of her work and she introduced me to a whole bunch of other experimental filmmakers and um and at the time you know i was also like going to see bill viola and gary hill and all these people and so um that was all kind of I was looking for you know I was doing all my own sound design and shooting and figuring out what
0: doing VHS stuff with me yeah and I would like
1: well like I did VHS but I also so I was exploring um, like my first film was called White and I just gotten married and it was I was sort of uncomfortable with that sort of reckoning with the idea of entering the institution of marriage which I had a troubled you know kind of and so I was sort of (laughs) I made my husband dress up and I sort of wrapped him in this white paper white um, wedding dress and had him you know swan around the roof of our apartment building and then shot it and then slowed it down and then rescanned it and I was just you know I was just fucking around I was just trying to figure out stuff
0: yeah but 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 <laughs> but the interesting thing is is in your story that you know I don't always hear mm-hmm. which is that you know you were committed to art totally and and at some point you you must have realized that how obscure that would be yeah. as a life. I did, and it and- was.
1: It was. It wasn't even. It was the. It was. So I, I. There was a transition period. I came out of school. Digital editing was my marketable skill, and I was able to freelance edit. And then on the side, I would I would build up and and part time teach other people how to how to digital edit. And then I would take that money and I would go make these little movies. And in the meantime, like I, I started, there was a topic that I really wanted. Like my second feature film was about was this experimental documentary about the relationship between women and their body hair. So you can see the kind of stuff I was like futzing around with. And my thesis film was like you know, looking at different levels of consciousness. (laughs) But finally there was this one piece that I wanted to make. This is what I'm trying to get at. There was a, a a topic I wanted to actually have an audience. I wanted people to see it, and I wanted them to get it, and I wanted it to be accessible. And that was kind of a bridge okay, for me. Right. So, so it, that... wasn't,
0: it wasn't like I got to make a living, no. but uh, it was more about mm-hmm. like you know refining mm-hmm. your art to a bigger audience because because yeah. when you're doing you know real experimental art, whether it's theater or film or whatever, and you really start to talk to people who are yeah. teaching, mm-hmm. you realize like, well, you know, if I don't make the the textbooks or the magazines. There's really no future in this at all. That that it's mm-hmm. such a small community.
1: Yeah, and that was okay with me. Like right. I, I really it wasn't like oh I have to be Bill Viola and get big gallery shows. Right. I just wanted to be true to myself as an artist.
0: Right. Okay. And so. make
1: stuff that nobody else could make, and to explore territory that was really interesting to me. But it wasn't until, and I almost had to kind of give myself permission to make work that would. That would reach people. Right. You know, it was almost, sure. like, again, it was like a selling out thing. Like, oh God, are you selling, the you know? It's right? like,
0: we, we, how everybody, every creative person does that to themselves.
1: The self sabotage. Well, I don't know if it's well, self sabotage. It's not in my comfort zone. Right. I well, have to be obscure. It's an integrity
0: thing. Integrity, like it's, yeah. It, it's, it's sort of like, you know, the idea when you're younger is that, that you don't want to take the easy way. But as you realize, as you get older, that mainstream, there's nothing easy about it. And, yeah. and, you know, But serving yourself was more important, you know, Mm -hmm. even if you were fucking your life up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I was happy to I mean, I I temped and was a you know, secret personal secretary, whatever, up until throughout my twenties and then said, Okay, at thirty I can't do that anymore and really like made a you know But the
0: portal in was about body hair. (laughs) <laughs> that was your that no. Was your... The
1: one that I wanted people to see was a couple, a few films later. It
0: was, but that's when you expar- obviously started experimenting with with uh, documentary and mm-hmm. your own, you know, uh, body issues and yeah. uh, more uh, feminine, you know, yeah. if not feminist-driven stuff. Yeah, uh, identifying. I was pretty that feminist.
1: Way. I mean, it was definitely about trying to dismantle showing the construction of gender, like basically sort of pointing at how much effort goes into making these smooth veneers of a feminine image on, you know, in a fashion right. magazine or whatever. Like, okay, yeah. Oh, that just seems like that's so womanly. Because so right. actually, it takes a fuck of a lot of work to make it look right. like and, that, you and, know. And, and so, that's accessible. Yeah. Well, that's way. true. Yeah. yeah. But the movie wasn't because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So it looks okay and the interviews are great, but, mm-hmm. like, the sound quality is shitty. I mean, I was just, like, right. really just sort of trying stuff out. So um But the film that I really wanted, like I I wanted it to be on that POV series on PBS. I don't know if you ever watched documentaries on that series. But um, I saw a bunch. I was inspired by that. And then I I had this movie that I wanted to make about miscarriage because I was trying to get pregnant for years and years and then had a miscarriage on the way to that in that journey. And um, and I felt so like... uh, so, what is it? Blindsided. I didn't by feel miscarriage? like by the miscarriage. I felt I'd hit, it'd been so hard to get pregnant that I really thought once I was pregnant, I felt like, oh, I'm in a state of grace. Like, right. this is sure. amazing. This is magical. And then 20 weeks down the line, because it was a late miscarriage too, um, you know, I was cramping up. And it's like, well, I mean, that's miscarriages for other people. <laughs> right not for me, you know, this is this is a special yeah. pregnancy. You don't yeah. understand. Like right. I earned this pregnancy. So, I was really 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 um yeah, blindsided by it and really just it wasn't even in my And then once I had one, all these people came out of the woodwork. It turned out I knew tons of people who had, had miscarried. And I had no I had no idea. And it's like a secret society, you know, the secret sisterhood and so many people either Made you feel crazy by not acknowledging it at all, even though they had just days before been saying, how's the baby? You know, whatever. And then they didn't even acknowledge it because they were so uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. It's like when your father dies, people know to send you flowers. Like there's a way to deal with it. But people don't know what to say to someone who's had a miscarriage. And so they either say terrible things- Oh, I was really devastated. It was really hard. And I know not everybody is, but for me, you know, I'd been trying to get pregnant so hard and it was awful. And the best thing anybody ever said to me was, I'm sorry you lost your baby. And that's all I needed to hear. But people would be like, oh, it was, you know, you probably, you wouldn't have wanted to have a baby with a problem or... Whatever. Just like really sure, insensitive sure. things. You know, it's God way, God's way of whatever. I don't know. Just, well, that's how people protect soon. themselves
0: from um, just even. uncomfortable discomfort. Yeah, and shouldering what they should be able to. Like, you know, yeah. you, a lot of times you just have to let somebody feel.
1: I know. It's hard for people. No, so I wanted to kind of, you know, I wanted, to, kinda, yeah, know, yeah. I wanted yeah. to explore that and help people feel not so alone. Who've right. gone through it and also to and educate people. And this, this was, was a full-length documentary. No, it was only it was going to be a half hour because POV showed half hour, right. so I made it specifically for that. Yeah. But it was the, really the first time I ever thought about an audience and who am I trying to talk to and and, and can I stay? And the whole it was I interviewed people just audio, mm-hmm. and then I made this beautiful um, visual landscapes mm-hmm. or poetic. Oh, okay. So it wasn't actually
0: it. filmed interviews,
1: right? Which I, and so that was kind of my way of saying, yeah, you're still being. You're still having integrity, right, with your visual aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a really it was like it was like a radio documentary. This set. is In almost fact, accessible, but let's stop yeah. it there. Exactly. <laughs> Don't go if too this, far now. Don't if, go crazy. If this were a
0: radio show, it'd be very accessible, but it's not. <laughs> it's people talking against some poetic visual stimulation.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, the idea was that visual yeah. beauty would help them swallow the pill of this, dis- you know, uncomfortable topic. But, well, that, but then that anyway. also
0: speaks to your inability or, or your desire to connect that you weren't clearly not ready to do visually in the way of, of letting people talk on the camera. <laughs>
1: well, no, it hits people on a visceral level because okay. cinematic language can be really, you know, the associative imagery actually was and it was a way to get people to open up because they didn't want to talk about this thing unless it was and it made them feel safer to not be on camera. You know, Were you I'd, doing acting jobs at this time? No, I think I was pretty much beyond mm. after I went to grad school. Okay. I just was, you know, I think although I did I did actually in grad in the middle of grad school, I was um I went on tour with the five lesbian brothers, um as an, and the, I was like, but I'm not a lesbian. And they were like, you'll be, you're an on air lesbian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so sweet of them. Uh-huh. Um, so I did do a little, I was still doing a little trickle here and there. Or I would do, you know, my friend Madeline Olnek, who now is a filmmaker as well, was writing plays and I would occasionally do something with her. But um, yeah, I wasn't uh, pursuing it and auditioning and stuff. That was all left in the dust. And the thing that was so beautiful when I made my first feature, I edited a couple features. When we moved back to Seattle, I was hired as an editor. And that that was when when I edited my first feature. Um and you were just hired. Outpatient. I was just hired.
0: That was your marketable skill as said. It was my said. marketable yeah.
1: skill. And because I was in a smaller market, I didn't have to go through years of being an assistant editor right, or something. Right. You know, I was just and I that it sort of that experience taught me cinematic storytelling, you know, narratively. That's um, how you learned. And huh? I was like, Oh I think I'm ready to do this. And I realized that all of this what had seemed like a hairpin turn before being an actor and putting all my effort into acting and then all of a sudden I'm dropping that and being a photographer, it was like, why, who, I'm so fickle. And now I was like, oh, it was all, all adds yeah. up and the editing and oh, you know. You trained
0: yourself perfectly for exactly yeah. what you wanted to do. Exactly. It was like yeah. a 20
1: year film school, you right. know, but, but then that allowed me because I didn't go to film school and I didn't, I wasn't told this is how you make a movie. You know, when I got on the set of my first feature, which I had done the way you're supposed to do it, you write the f- script, you find the people. Which movie? It was called We Go Way Back. It's yeah. going to be out finally this fall. It was never released? No, sort of almost released. And then it won slam Dance and got Best what Cinematography year? Award 2006. And, and now and, it's uh, going to be released. Shot on 35.
0: How do you feel about that?
1: So happy! It's yeah. It'll be you almost like the, the ten year. Oh yeah, oh, and there's good. still friends of mine who say I think it's still my well, I mean it's my mom, but that's still her favorite.
0: Well, it's good she's your friend.
1: She's my friend. Yeah, she's my buddy. Um, but yeah, when I was making that movie, it became all of a sudden about. Um, it was my first time on a set, so two things happened. I became. Uh, just fell in love with the collaborative mm-hmm. aspect of it and I'm a yeah. total control freak so it was right. terrifying but it was also really <laughs> liberating you know and yeah. to see oh my god it was beautiful yeah. and so I knew I really wanted to make art with other people and in relationship with other people but it was so hard on the actors who I had like coddled and took in care of you know really took care of and brought the best out of in the audition process so it was just me and them in a room with like one little video camera and then on set you know we had this huge hulking 35 millimeter camera and smoke machines and all these bodies. And and they were just like, you know, and the whole thing all of a sudden, and I was like, oh my god, this is because it was my first time making a movie on set. I've been on the post side of things, so I never. And it was like the way that the traditional way to make movies is putting up obstacle after obstacle um, in front of the most important work on the set which is the actor right because if the act, no matter how gorgeously lit it is if the acting doesn't resonate doesn't feel real you know
0: not gonna work
1: it's not gonna work yeah and so that and I so then I took a cue you know from Dogma 95 from the French New Wave whatever and then my second film you know I just ejected everybody from the set and it was just me and my and my buddy D.P. Ben holding cameras yeah We and I was like flies in the wall I developed those those characters for the people
0: this is in the second movie
1: yeah my effortless brilliance and we were in a cabin in the woods, you know, and I'm basically, I wanted it to feel like a documentary. I wanted it to feel so real. You know, I don't want it to feel written. Did and you get so it? All improvised. And I got it and it got into, it went to, yeah, all I wanted to do was get into South by Southwest. It was in the, it was in the, you know, narrative competition, dramatic competition. And um, IFC bought it. I was like, what? <laughs> You're kidding. Okay. And then my next movie, which was Hump Day, I knew, okay, I can make a movie this way. And... What do I want to do with this one? And it was, I wanted the tightness of the, I wanted the momentum, narrative momentum, and the tight editing that Puffy Chair had, the Duplass movie, uh, Duplass Brothers movie, Puffy Chair. And I wanted it to be, yeah, I wanted to have more of a plot driven.
0: um, Now, if I recall correctly in that movie, um, these guys were going to have sex.
1: Indeed. So it's. uh,
0: But they didn't.
1: Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, it's all right. It's been out forever. Why didn't they? Because they were truly straight and it was it, it those here's what happened. We shot that that movie in order and we all agreed that we would only attempt to make this movie and we would only put it out I would only put it Explain out Explain the, the world. premise again. Well, the premise is that these two guys who really bonded in college and were like the same wild,
0: yeah, nutty, right, whatever. Right.
1: Mushroom trips and whatever, breaking to the zoo and just all kinds of crap, weird stuff. And they were going to go on this motorcycle trip together. And then one of them bags out and kind of goes into this. He becomes completely domesticated. So Mark Duplass's character is has a, a house and a wife and they're trying to get yeah. pregnant. And meanwhile, his buddy, Josh Leonard's character, is has, has just continued. Tra- he's a nomad. He's an artist. Searching. He's traveling the world. He's searching. He's searching. So they have to- two totally different um, trajectories, And then it's about 10 years later when the artist, nomadic artist, shows up on the doorstep of the domesticated dude. And they um, immediately engender this, like, what happens for Mark's character is basically, oh, shit. You know, he takes stack of, stock of who he is. You know, I'm really interested in that sense of, like, who do we imagine that we are? And then when you ha- have those moments of, like, kind who of jolts of, who, were, yeah, who like, am I really yeah, now? Yeah. Shit. Because he sees w- what he sees himself through the lens of his friend. You right. know, oh, I'm in the doorway. I'm standing in the doorway of this, like, nice house with coffee table books on my coffee table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on my white. there's literally a white picket fence out front. And so um, if he freaks out, he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not that guy inside. I'm still this wild, crazy dude, and I'm up for anything. And they engender this sense of competition in each other, like ridiculous, right. kind of out each other. Yeah. And so ultimately it Those ends kind of up that, yeah, yeah they yeah. end up trying to outdo each other. By doing each other, but you know, or or daring each other to to do each other. So they they go to this crazy party. Like a day later, they're at this party with this in this artist commune, and they all the all the people there are going to make movies for this local porn festival that is real that Dan Savage founded, um, called Hump and. And and the idea of hump is that you're making alternative stuff. You're doing you're not just making straight porn, you're right. you're playing around with the form and right. having fun with it and, and so um or doing something avant garde or whatever. And so here's Josh Leonard's character as this artist, and he's like, Well, I'm gonna do that, you know, and they're like, Oh yeah, what are you gonna do that's gonna actually be worth, you know, putting into a festival like this? And they come up with the most out there idea they can come up with, which, which is two straight dudes having sex right and they're you know they're drunk and they're high and whatever and so the next so the whole rest of the movie is just this this
0: moving (laughs) towards that
1: well it's moving towards the fallout of having agreed to the dare you know basically daring each other that first night and they try and let each other off the hook the next day but neither of them wants to be let off the hook because they're like hey
0: they're competing i'm cool I'm,
1: i'm cool enough to do this but you're the one i think you're trying to get out of this and it's like i'm not trying to get out of this and so it's just ridiculous because it's not they want they don't want to do it it's like both of them are terrified to do it. So it's it's uh, right. I remember that. And then and I, we I, shot the whole thing in order, and it, and I had the whole thing outlined, but it, the, except for what would happen in the hotel room. And the idea was that we would get there, and then I, you know, I said, okay, you guys really know who these dudes are, and I'm going to entrust you to to really honestly enact this scene the way it would really play out. So really weird sidebar that there was a big French uh, production company. That bought the rights and made a remake of it. It's like a five million dollar remake of my tiny micro budget movie. Is,
0: is it out yet?
1: Uh, it's not out here because it bombed there, and they never cleared the rights for oh, music okay. to, to right. do it. But Did we were able to it? get a French version of it. Yeah, and show it in on a DVD a special DVD player or whatever yeah. for like you know fifty yeah. people or right. whatever, and side by side. So we showed mine and then theirs, and it's I mean it's fascinating. It's wow. so fascinating. That's it's got ex-
0: kind of interesting. Charlotte
1: Gainsbourg is in it, yeah. and you know it's. Crazy.
0: Was it was it good?
1: Um I prefer mine. <laughs> but it's definitely it's fascinating. Yeah.
0: I noticed that there there is a Cla I don't know if it's a class, but you know your community and your way of life and the and the way of lives of the people that you're familiar with are in your movies it's a very it's it, mm. I notice it as being sort of specific um because I notice it in Jill's movie in afternoon Delight that you guys know the life you live that the type of people that are in your movies are people you would know and have dinner with, but it is sort of specific and I mean I'm in that mm. world too, but did you ever notice that though like a lot of people don't live like us <laughs> like you you know. <laughs> Yeah. Like even like it's just it's there. There was something about even uh, Ellen Page, Mm -hmm. you know, making muffins or whatever she was pulling out of cupcake tin. Mm -hmm. That there, there, there is sort of an uh, an effort to authenticity that our generation seems to have.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, there's a book called Reality Hunger Uh that is about that Uh and about this this hunger that people have to see see authenticity. And for me, I mean, it just. I've seen so many films. I mean, you take the wife character in Hump Day. Even though she doesn't get nearly as much screen time as the guys, I wanted her to feel as fully, it's really important to me that she be as fully sort of fleshed out and three-dimensional as the guys. Because how many cardboard cutout wife, you know, whether a harpy or the whore with the heart of gold. Or I remember we saw the, not to dump on it, but when we saw Hangover and Ed Helms is getting screamed at by his Horrible fiance, and my husband leans over to me and says, I think she's supposed to be the bitch. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, really?
0: You know, I mean, (laughs) it's
1: like, hello, you know, give me a break. And and so, um, that is in general incredibly important to me. No matter what, if I'm using a script or I'm using, you know, partially scripted and partly improvised, or it's all improvised, or you have people who like really need this the text as the spine of their performance, which many great actors are like that. They're not writers, they're actors, whatever it is that the method is I always want it to feel like flesh and blood human beings on the screen sure. that are, um, and that's because that's the only way that it really resonates with me.
0: Do you think you could bring what you do with actors to a period piece or to uh, uh, do you have plans to sort of challenge yourself on those I'm levels? attached
1: to actually a period piece that HBO, I'm not a creator, but mm-hmm. they came to me and asked if I would direct um, a miniseries that has uh, Anna Paquin and Jack Black, and that was announced a few months ago so yeah i can talk about that but um and i don't know when that's going to happen but one of the reasons it was yeah i was really intrigued you know to see to to explore that territory and like i just i actually um am going to do a this american life story it's not a it's not a um period piece well it's a little it's a few years ago it's based on a real life story one of their podcasts that um, one of their um episodes that was very popular called the mysterious incredible case of the pi moms and uh amazing crazy story that's like a comedy caper you right. know, it reminded me a little bit of dog day afternoon uh-huh. you know and that it's a real story but it's it just goes everywhere anyway very exciting um and i want to you know it's a different genre mm-hmm. um and i want to continue to see how i can bring that same authenticity and honesty right and grounded character-based uh-huh. and all the humor needs to come from that grounded character-based place instead of like I'm not as interested jokes. to do just yeah, right. just a broad comedy that doesn't you know
0: those those are hard in yeah. a way that, that it's it's making something that's completely unnatural seem slightly yeah acceptable and then
1: you get like a like bridesmaids I thought was brilliant well,
0: yeah it's great because the the women were real yeah, women, yeah. exactly and yeah. so
1: you they do they get put into types. some you know there is right. there's the shitting right. and farting and vomiting you know scene but. But right. throughout, you really, yeah, yeah. You, you feel for them, you feel with them because you believe in them and
0: yeah, like
1: their relationships and stuff.
0: And how old's your son?
1: He's 16, and it's so fun to start 16. showing him. I mean, I've been doing it for a while now, but, you know, it's so great to be able to relive my favorite, because what we do is watch movies, right? So, um, you know, going to see Mad Max Fury Road was incredible. We'll go see all these, every action movie. Yeah. But um, you know, we showed him Jaws recently. It's like, oh yeah, you can see Jaws. Like, and I hadn't seen Jaws since forever.
0: Equally as terrifying. And afterwards, he
1: was like, he was like, yeah, it was a good movie. Can we see a comedy next? Like, (laughs) can we see some Monty Python? And we saw. He'd already seen Holy Grail, so we showed him Life of Brian. And I hadn't seen again Life of Brian forever. He's never laughed so hard in his life. Like continuously, he loves to laugh. And I was really impressed with. I was like, I was like, oh my god, I saw. All kinds of brilliance in it that I hadn't even been aware of. Of before. life in
0: Life of Ryan? Yeah, oh, it's great. It's yeah. amazing. It's
1: such a great commentary. And, and
0: he's deaf. Your son, he's deaf. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, he had meningitis when he was a year old. We almost lost oh, him. That's terrifying. It was.
0: Geez. It
1: was really really scary. I don't recommend it. But he stuck around, and um yeah, and uh some sign that with experience? him. Experience
0: like how is how is that sort of change your perception of reality?
1: It changes. It changes everything, both both the experience of having him be like he was on a he he became basically basically unconscious. He was like on a heart breathing heartbeat machine for um, like almost a week, yeah. and then slowly he was able to wean off it. And all the in the ICU, you know, and there the were nurses who were just angels on earth. One year old, he was there. He's one. Yeah, they, he they said to us as soon as he was came out of it, they were like we were really worried because usually they come out of it faster if they're right. going to, if they're going to come out of it, yeah. 10% of the babies that Ugh, age God, die. An awful and, time. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And it totally changed our relationship to parenting. You know, like my mom is the first to tell you as an early childhood educator that a certain amount of benign neglect is a really healthy thing, you mm-hmm. know, to, because you give the kid a space yeah. to, to explore their world and stuff. But in order to teach a deaf child language, like you it has to all there's no osmosis. They're not gonna get anything right, right. overhearing hearing gonna, a conversation right, right, right. at the grocery store or the zoo. Mm. They need to like look right at you and get it. Right. And so it's totally hungry for it. I yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and whether it's interpreting what conversation's going on over here or mm. you know, whatever it is. And so it totally changed us as parents because we had to, you know, shift Learn this but, thing. Yeah. But also finding out, like here he was this little tiny you know, this little tiny body there's, you know, it started with very dramatically with firefighters in our in our house, all around him turning blue on the floor, and I mean, you know, it was very very dramatic, oh and then God. we rushed to the hospital and all that, and then he's there, and we have our full time nurse in the ICU. It's like a five star hotel, you know, you're just like, um, and then you w- take a walk around the hospital, and you see the two month old next door, you know, and the baby's this big, and then you see the parents, uh, in the cafeteria, and you realize, and you just you're a- aware that babies die. Kids die. It's it's crazy. Like it never it's something that you really can't imagine because it's so unimaginable. It's so wrong. Yeah. But yeah, you know, yeah. kids die. Yeah. And um and so just to know that, you know, I mean I still to this day, it's years and years and years later, and I still I go and look at him sleeping and just like I'm so glad you're here, man. I, I can't even tell you. <laughs> and I tell I came across this journal the other day. We moved houses and so I was like going through all these books and I just opened it. here's you know Milo's hospital journal. It's like, oh shit. And I like looked up, you know, and I was plunged back into that moment oh. and I was just weeping and weeping, you know, and I go over and try and explain to him. <laughs> He's just yeah. looking at me like, Oh good mom. <laughs> really? <laughs> anyway. So yeah, no, it changes a lot. Uh for sure and you know just that sense of how mortal we all are fragile yeah so fragile that's crazy yeah
0: well are are you okay Mark yeah
1: thank you so much (laughs) thank you thank you so much for letting me do this and for crying
0: well I'm at a weird point and I don't know what's going on with me it's not hard to make me cry oh yeah well the same way good talking to you
1: it was really great talking to you Mark thank you so much for having me (laughs)
0: That was a great conversation. Amazing kind of evolution of, of creativity. That it all comes together and makes sense. Lynn Shelton. Good movies. Go watch your movies. I just watched Touchy Feely, and I, I liked it a lot. Also, WTFPod.com. Get your JustCoffee.coop to get the WTF Pod blend, the WTF blend. I get a little something on the back end. Get You know, just do your business. I got the Buddha out here. The... Uh, the 335.